Welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett, Stu Hardy, and Dan Murphy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 29 of the Rouge Rugby Podcast. My name is Derek Brissett, and joining me today is the one and only Stu Hardy. Stu, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Derek. Thanks for asking. Excellent. So, as you guys may have noticed, um, my voice is not Dan's voice. Dan, unfortunately, was not able to make our normal Tuesday night recording time. Uh, because he is helping his parents celebrate their 30th anniversary. So on behalf of everyone at the LaRouge Rugby Podcast, which is basically just me and Stu, um, happy 30th (laughs) anniversary to Mr. and Mrs. Murphy. And I hope you're enjoying, I'm hoping you're enjoying your evening, and I hope Dan is spoiling you with luxurious gifts and anything that you could possibly wish for. Well, he did say he was going to buy a car for them each. He did. He, he did yeah. say that he was going to buy the car. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, uh, like, I mean, I hope they're enjoying that brand new Ferrari. And, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if I was in their shoes, I'd be incredibly disappointed now. That yeah, they that they wouldn't that they have didn't get the Ferrari. Yeah. yeah, because he did tell us that, didn't he? He did. He did. <laughs> and we do have it. We do have it on recording because it was actually while we were making the podcast. So if Dan tries to say that he didn't say that he would get you a Ferrari let me know i'll get you the proof and then you can beg for your ferrari got a really cool license plate says like happy 30th on it it's awesome that's what he said Uh, yeah that is what he said uh but shall we get into the uh meat and vegetables of what happened in the mlr world the past week yeah absolutely so you know how awesome was this weekend Stu? we got uh we got two actual live rugby games with people in the audience as well and of course, too, we had a, the first ever Major League Rugby Collegiate Draft. So plenty to talk about during this episode. So might as well just dive right into it. Um, so, for, so, Stu, what were your uh, thoughts on the Major League, the first ever Major League Rugby Collegiate Draft? Well, I think like a lot of other Major League sports, such as uh, basketball and football, the draft system that they intended to do this year and the draft system they had to do this year are two completely separate things. But I think MLR did a good um, job with everything that they were doing. And uh, of course, like a few last minute changes threw things out of whack. So for example, New York being removed from the draft in place of Dallas getting two more picks. Uh, so quite interesting, as we all know, uh, Toronto was originally the only team not to be in the draft, and in the end, it's, it turned out that three teams wouldn't be in the draft. Um, but at the same time, I think having the video packages for all the new draftees to be shown was a great touch. And you know, there are a few kinks that can be ironed out for next year's draft, but you know, for Considering the circumstances that we're currently in, I think it was a good job. Yeah, I, I personally really and actually really enjoyed the uh, the draft coverage that they were able to put out. They said it was nice to see, like, I mean, it's one of the things that a lot of people have kind of been talking about going into this where, you know, there's not 
a whole lot of video necessarily readily available for people to, or just like the general rugby fan to be able to go and kind of look up some of these prospects. So I thought Major League Rugby did a good job of just like, you know, putting out some highlight reels on their own pages and definitely during the broadcast to make sure they had like some highlight reels of everybody. Um, so that I thought that was a really nice touch just to kind of give you that little brief introduction. But that was like my one, I guess, my one sort of criticism of the way they did that was the first mm-hmm. three picks, the way they did that was great. Introduce the pick, talk to the guy a little bit, um, analyze what he can bring to the team, what his skill set is. I thought that was great. And then after the first three picks, when they just started like flying through them, like three at a time, it, it just, I feel like it just didn't give you enough time to like digest the pick that just happened. And, you know, even to like kind of take in like, you know, some of the video and stuff. So I think, you know, like, I'm not really sure what it was. Maybe they had like a time restriction with FTF and, you know, maybe they had to get it in under 90 minutes. Cause I think believe that is what they did, but I think, you know, going forward for next year, it's like, I mean, you, it, the whole draft is 24 picks, which is, less than a round in most of the other major sports leagues. So I feel like you could have done with maybe doing a two hour, two and a half hour kind of draft, like make it about the same length as a rugby game. And it would have been like, I don't think you would have lost the attention of the fans. Um, But other than that, it was a solid show. I really enjoyed Dan Powers analysis during the entire broadcast as well. So with that being said, Stu, what do you think of the actual selections? Is there anybody, any of the players that stood out to you during this draft? Well, I think uh, congratulations need to go first to Connor Mooneyam, who will go down history as the first draft pick in uh, the MLR collegiate draft history. Um, Interesting stats uh, from Magnolia, Texas. Uh, Outside center and wing, he's 6 foot 24 and weighs 200 pounds. So it seems to be a growing trend of having these big, giant wingers following in the George North model of uh, playing for teams that way. So I don't know, I've seen his highlight video. Um, now, personally, I wouldn't mention the fact of that his first season playing rugby, he lost, his team lost uh, most of their games. I'd keep that to myself and, you know, maybe improve my chances. But then again, he was also the first pick. So what do I know? There was also another pick for Dallas. I believe it was Dallas's second pick of the night, which was the number nine pick overall, which is Tommy Hunkin Clark, who is a can play the position of either blindside flanker or number eight. And um, he's a bit taller. He's a uh, six foot four and weighs two hundred and forty pounds. He also has, um, from what I can see, a great record. Uh, 2017 Junior All-American, 2018 Collegiate All-American, as well as 2019 as well. And in 2020 was a Rudy Scholes Award finalist. I think Dallas is, Dallas by virtue of having New York as well, now have four young guys in their team. And I can see them progressing in looking at the long-term development of all these players because if they all do well and if uh, hopefully MLR improves year on year and the salary cap increases year on year, it could potentially be that we see these four guys sticking around for the long-term deal to boost Dallas. So, But I'm especially looking forward to Tommy Hunkin-Clark playing next year. 
Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was a very interesting trade that they made with uh, Rooney in order to get make that happen. They sent Rooney a foreign player sl- slot in exchange for the two picks in the draft and additional cap space, which, you know, I think I know that trades have happened in Major League Rugby for the first three seasons already, or the first two or three seasons already, but um, it's kind of interesting to see now that the trades are being made public because they were going to make the draft public. So it would have been real tough to explain to people like why teams were moving around in the draft if you didn't explain how they traded that and how they were acquired there, right? And I just find it like one thing with that trade is like I find it kind of fascinating that you can just flat out like trade salary cap room, even if you have been mm-hmm. able to do it for a long time. And I'm just kind of like, like I, I just I kind of want just to kind of know a little bit more about that, like how that actually works. Like does Dallas now have permanently have that extra space on their cap? Does New York, is New York permanently down? Does it only count for the 2021 season? Does it count going forward too? Um, So like, those are kind of things that I'd be like, it'd be cool if like major league rugby just kind of came out and did like, here's like the definitive how trading cap space could work. Um, just because it'd be interesting to know. And if it is permanent, you know, like that'd be interesting too, just because just to kind of know where everybody's kind of acts. I feel like if we're based off of the cap being, you know, half a million dollars, and then if teams have been trading salary cap space for like the entirety of the existence of Major League Rugby, then that's kind of like, I'd be interested to know where every team is actually at right now. Um, <laughs> but beyond that, um, you know, so I don't know, like it's, it's it's interesting to see what I thought with this draft, you know, NOLA also traded uh, for a foreign player spot or traded away a foreign player spot to LA. Um, so it's interesting. I thought one of the intriguing things of the draft was just to see what teams are actually allowed to do in this league as far as trading assets. Yeah, I can definitely see a few years down the line, maybe even by uh, the 2021 draft that MLR come out with a basically a rule book of what things can be traded for in future drafts and how long they apply for and how long uh, things can last. And I think obviously with it being the first iteration of the draft, it is going to have these things that you don't think about until they show up. And it could be a case that other teams who wanted a foreign player spot would now be arguing that uh, New York and NOLA shouldn't have been able to do that, which their response is, well, it's not written down anywhere. Um, I, feel, I feel like the GMs and the owners would know the rules, though. Like, I don't feel like they would have been surprised by that. I just think, like, there's certain things that sometimes I think the – like, I just think the league would – it would be good on the league to do it just from, like, a fan-friendliness kind of perspective. Just yeah. To, just from that point of view, just be like, hey, here's the official guidelines. Like, if you do trade cap space, this is how trading cap space works. Um, you know, uh, right? And just to sort of explain that way, people aren't like, yeah, you can trade foreign player spots. This is how trading a foreign player spot would work permanently on your team um, for the next year. So you go from 10 to 11 or, you know, or however the balance is out of what you've already traded for and stuff as well. And and interestingly into that, like I'd be interested to know officially like what previous trades happened and if those have affected anything, like is there teams sitting out there that have more foreign player spots that fans don't necessarily know about? And when you kind of look at your roster and you think like, 
you know, sometimes you look at rosters and be like, oh, how can that team afford all these guys? And you're like, well, they actually traded for extra salary cap two years ago. So that's how that works. Um, so I think that would this just one of those things that occurred during the draft. I'd be like, oh, I'd, I'd be curious to know like more info on it. And I hope like the league going forward can be a little bit more transparent. And because one, trades are a ton of fun. It gives, yes. it gives just, that's what, like, they're the most fun thing in sports that happens off the pitch or off the ice or whatever. And, you know, it gives, you know, so many articles can be written, breaking down trades, all the podcast time that can be dedicated to discussing the trade. It's just like so much content that you can kind of throw out when it happens. So I would like to see like, even like going forward, even not around the draft. It's like if major league rugby is allowed to have trades and you've been making trades for the past, you know, three seasons, apparently then like, tell the fans, let the fans engage in the league and be a little bit more open and a little bit more fan friendly in that sense, just because it gives you everything to talk about. And, you know, you can debate it on Reddit. You can, like I said, have the podcast, have the articles all dedicated to it, but you can't do that if the trades aren't put out there. So it's great to see that this draft has kind of opened that door to allowing trades to come out. And I hope, you know, going forward, if there is trades in the league, we'll get the official announcements like we did from the teams during this draft. Um, some of the picks that I kind of thought were kind of fascinating. I was really speaking of the trades. I was kind of fascinated by what Houston or but no, sorry, not by what Houston did, by what Utah did by way of trading with Houston. Um, so Utah uh, tr- acquired two picks from the Houston SaberCats in exchange for Robbie Povey. And th- I was just kind of fascinated with what Utah kind of used those picks on because I really didn't expect it. And you know what? I will be the first to admit that my U.S. collegiate rugby knowledge is not exactly on an elite level. And you'd probably be better better off to uh, serve going to other outlets for U.S. collegiate rugby analysis. Yes, as two guys who have neither been to U.S. colleges or let alone played for U.S. colleges, I think we're probably not the be all and end all of understanding yeah, collegiate rugby. Yeah, I have, yeah, I, I, I don't have like a ton of knowledge. So I don't want to, like, I'm not judging the picks in the sense of like, you know, I would have picked this guy or so instead, but I did find it fascinating of what Utah selected more or less. So Utah took with the number three pick, they took Darren, Derek Ellingson uh, from St. Mary's. He's a center and wing. Um, number seven, they took John Powers from Iona. He's a wing fullback. Number 15, they took Danny Gianscoli, who is from Loyola, University of Maryland. Uh, he's a fly half slash fullback. And then at number 19, they took Elijah Hayes from Iowa Central Community College. And he's a prop. And from everything that I kind of heard going into the draft, it was like, everyone's going to pick like, you know, tight five guys. It's going to be a lot of locks. There's going to be a lot of, you know, maybe a lot of props going, but then you know, some of the skilled positions like scrum half, fly half, it's like, you're not going to see anybody picked. And, you know, and just kind of based on that, I was really expecting more teams to go after forwards than after backs. And to see Utah make such a big trade and they have four picks in the draft and their first three picks are all backs was kind of surprising to me. Like I said, I can't really judge the players to be perfectly honest with you. I just thought, you know, I just kind of, shocked me that they took a bunch of backs and you know hopefully it works out for them i know like brandon uh brandon sparks definitely knows what he's doing um so Mm -hmm. uh that's something that i'm 
I'm looking forward to see how these guys develop because I'm just like I'm curious as to what the, the strategy is behind that. But like I said, like I'm not the best guy for U.S. college rugby, so maybe Derek Ellingson is one of the best possible players available. And you know, then he's going to go torch up, torch the league next year. And I hope he does because his name's Derek, and that would be great to see. <laughs> Uh, but so that one kind of intrigued me. I don't know, Stu, what is your, what are your thoughts on any of the other picks or even just Houston or Utah using Houston's picks to basically take a bunch of backs instead of forwards? Well, I do remember you saying last week that if you're a fly half position, that you're not going to be picked. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah. there was more fly halves been... than locks picked, which shocked me too. Exactly. Um, and I guess if it had been just uh, LA and Dallas, you, we could have gotten away with that. But uh, John Powers that you mentioned um, plays wing fullback and can also play fly half as well, from what I've read. Some so, utility backs, that's always a good thing to have too. So yeah, but one thing you mentioned of you can see uh, these players growing with their teams. And I think... That's the idea. I think people want to see that. I think people want to have that loyalty to these uh, teams. And if it's, oh, this person's been signed, we want this person to be around for a number of years. And then when their contract's up for negotiation, you're hoping that they can remain with the team and ideally the league Mm -hmm. instead of being so good that they get picked off by uh, the English clubs or the French clubs. Which, but we'll say good for them if that happens. But obviously, you want to yeah, I feel like, be yeah, there to see yeah. these teams grow. I feel like, yeah, if you're good enough to play in England or France, that might be the way to go, anyways. But as we've been seeing, guys like uh, Adrian Watt and Dan Moore, it's like there's guys are coming back um, from England to come play in Major League Rugby, right? So, uh, you know, if Major League Rugby does a good job of, you know, opening up these opportunities for Americans and, you know, there's a lot of, there is opportunities for Canadian athletes in it. And then hopefully going forward next year, we'll, you know, they can get all the, the visa issues and everything sorted out that needs to get sorted out in order to allow Canadians to also be eligible for the draft from Canadian universities. Cause I feel like if they were, there would have been a lot of, there would have been a handful of Canadians that got picked and mm-hmm. thank you to the Seattle Seawolves with the number 17th pick <laughs> for finding a way to pick a Canadian because we all know that you guys are Canada South, even though technically you're <laughs> North in Toronto, but I'm still calling you Canada South. And yeah, so they took Nick Taylor from uh, Lindenwood. And uh, yeah, so he's, he's a center. Um, and yeah, he played, uh, plays for the, played for the Calgary Canucks. He's also represented Canada at the uh, World University Games in the Sevens Tournament there. So you know, that, that was, that's awesome to see. I'm so happy that we ended up having a Canadian eligible player get picked from Calgary, Alberta. Um, so, you know, we, we, I knew we could count on the Seawolves to do that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so with the draft, this was also the first, uh, the first time that fans could see the introductions of the new teams to the league. So Dallas and L.A., and they've also now released video packages onto both their social media sites and, I believe, MLR's social media. What was your opinion on both teams' introductions? Um, well, I think, like, the one thing that kind of I thought was somewhat interesting, and, like, I don't know if it's just, like, my mind's playing tricks on me or, like, you know, tinfoil hat theories, 
but there were certain points of the broadcast where it seemed like the hosts were kind of going out of their way to not say the word guiltinis. Like they kind of happily referred to every other team, like the San Diego Legion, the Utah Warriors, the Austin Gilgronies were freely mentioned as well. But then they were like, and uh, coming up with the next pick will be LA and not like not saying the rest of the name, which I kind of found like, I don't know if that was like intentional or if that, like, I'm not really sure what that was. Uh, I'm Maybe I'm just reading way too much into that. I have no idea. Well, I wouldn't rule it out. I will say in their video package, they did have the LA Giltini's logo. And, yeah, and I think, and I think if you look draft, in the corner. Every draft pick, every time you saw the board, it did say LA Giltini's. It was just sometimes the hosts kind of were like, it almost seemed like, I don't know. Like I said, I think I might be tinfoil hat theorying myself here on this, but it's like, it seemed like there was, there was certain points during the broadcast where they were like, and this is the LA team's pick now or something. Yeah. Right. Like, and it was just kind of like, okay, that's kind of, and I feel like it's, you know, you know, I, I was one of those people that's in the uh, the small the small section of that pie chart that actually kind of likes the name and the logo. Um, not so much the name, but like I thought the logo and some of that was kind of good. But obviously, the vast majority of people is just pure like vitriol and hate towards this logo <laughs> and this team name. And um, so I kind of found that like, kind of interesting that they like I don't know like did it seem to you that they were kind of trying to avoid it or am I just going crazy? I don't know. I think it may just also be a case of it may be difficult to pronounce, like Giltini. I know they have Gilgronis, but I also think we've had that name now for a few months, so people can be able to pronounce that correctly. But Giltinis, and I don't know, maybe it is a case. Maybe someone's kicked up enough of a fuss just to say that, look, can we at least talk about a name that doesn't involve alcohol or a logo that doesn't have a alcoholic beverage on its front for the children of course um, think of the children that's how you justify everything that you know what i think yeah like i don't know i think like i wonder like i genuinely wonder if there's anything that the league could even do about it anyways even if there is like a big enough stink raise like like unless they have had like some sort of rule in place that is like they can change it if they don't like it but like I'm not. Yeah, like, I, I feel like I feel like it's gonna be like no matter how much people hate it, like, and I know people hate it, like yeah. despise it, like, and um, and you know, there's there's a couple people that like it, but small in numbers. But uh, I feel like it's not gonna change. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know, and I feel like we've kind of talked about how much we hate this name now for like three weeks, and I'm just like, if it changes, it changes, but. I feel like yeah. it probably won't. So let's just be like, yeah, they're the Giltinis. I did find their video kind of interesting, though, for uh, two reasons. Um, the one in their initial release, they said that they like were trying to finalize if they were going to play at the LA Coliseum. Whereas this video that was kind of presented, they're like they want to play at the Coliseum, but it's not official. Yes. It's kind of the way it seemed in the, their initial introduction. This video was like, we're playing at the Coliseum. Yeah. Right. Like it, that was, was... like it was almost like a definitive, like, we're going to play at the Coliseum, which, yeah. Um, absolutely massive stadium. That is, mm. that is a massive stadium. Um, it's a cool stadium, but it's a, it's huge. And 
be interesting to kind of see how they make that work. And the second thing that I kind of noticed was like, I thought it was super weird that uh, Darren Coleman was playing with a Gilbert rugby ball in an official MLR video when the league is sponsored by Rhino. And I'm like, that's like, I, I, I just feel like, I mean, if I'm Rhino or like the guys that work for Rhino, it's like, I probably wouldn't be too happy about that. Um, to have like, no. a, like to have like a team introduction video. And then like the collegiate players, if they were playing in a division that uses Gilbert balls and they had like the picture of the player up and it has a Gilbert ball and whatever, that wouldn't bother me at all just because no. that's what the guy actually played with in college. But to have like Coleman like there in a promo video for the Giltinis and he's flipping the ball up in the air and it's clearly a Gilbert ball. And it's also clearly like, it was like, it wasn't even like Giltini colored. It was like green, which I also kind of thought, like, I don't know if it's supposed to be like the olive part of the logo in the ball. Maybe that's what they were going for. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was weird. I'm like, yeah, like if I'm, if I'm Rhino, I'm kind of like, Hey guys, like what's going on? Like how did, uh, how did our competitors ball end up in your marketing video? Yeah. I'd, if I was on the Rhino uh, PR board, I'd be asking for an expert explanation about that because it's not as though rhino only do mlr and you can't purchase their balls elsewhere but uh, i think we've been spending enough time talking about la when there's the other team dallas in the mix and because they're also playing at a very large stadium not as large as the coliseum but still pretty large but they've also introduced their new coaching structure as well led by director of rugby and head coach Alan Clark, who has experience with the Northampton Saints and most recently uh, the Ospreys of the Pro 14. Yeah, you don't happen to know anything about that team, do you there, Stu? Oh, what, the team that I saw my first professional rugby game at? No, not at all. Um, no, no, Jeff yeah. Hassler's. Jeff Hassler's, like Jeff Hassler's former team, Tyler Ardron's former team. Yeah, nothing at all. Um, in all seriousness, um, so I don't know if you read about this, but Alan Clark's dismissal from head coach from the Ospreys was uh, problematic, to say the least, in which case the... As the, uh, as the resident Welsh guy on our Canadian rugby podcast, could you please enlighten me as to what happened with uh, Mr. Clark's departure? So... He was so it was announced through the BBC, I believe, that he had been removed as head coach, but apparently it hadn't gone through the correct channels to remove him as such, and so he remained in place as head coach, but wasn't allowed to be head coach, if that makes any sense, <laughs> for a number of months until all the legal processing had come into place and at this time if there are any Ospreys fans listening the Ospreys weren't as good as they had previously been and I do feel that it is the double-edged sword for any head coaches that when your team's going well the players get told they're fantastic they're amazing and when they do badly it's the coach's fault that the players are doing poorly and we all know that's not true but you know the press needs to go with the story and it's easier to go after one person than an entire team um however i'm 
glad that uh, Clarkie, as he's known, is uh, now head coach of Dallas. And I can definitely see Dallas being one of these... Uh, on these under the um, up and comers for MLR 2021, will they be making the playoffs? Well, that's uh, yet to be seen because I was unsure if any of the new teams for 2020 would make the playoffs. Obviously, that's now definitely not happening for the 2020 season, but you could definitely see with the teams like DC and uh, the Free Jacks and Rugby ATL, that they weren't just there to fill in the numbers. And I don't think that Dallas is there to fill in the numbers either. Yeah, I think, I mean, for both Dallas and LA, like, I mean, we got to kind of see the rest of the rosters um, before we really kind of judge that. I mean, we know, we basically, at least as far as confirmed guys, we kind of know their draft picks and then maybe you can kind of speculate on a couple of the rap. We know Blake Rogers is in um, Los Angeles. It sounds like based on, I believe um, the uh, golf rugby report draft preview, I think like it sounded like Mike Tolkien was saying that Dallas had Chad Goff. Um, so that's, I mean, correct. You can totally correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, mm. But so it's, um like so yeah so it's like we only really ultimately though at the end of the day we only really know a couple players on either one of these teams at the moment and it's you know so that'll be kind of fascinating to see what the actual rosters kind of shape out to be um they did add a uh an assistant gm in dallas as well it's elaine vassy and uh, she becomes the uh first woman to have a man, uh, managerial role within major league rugby uh tiffany Fay. Um, is mm-hmm. an assistant coach with uh, Rugby United New York. Um, so the uh, contingent of women in, you know, high-ranking rugby operations roles continues to grow in Major League Rugby. And that's, you know, ultimately that is a great thing to see. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see um, how her role plays into uh, the Dallas team. And I'm looking forward to it. Should be good. Yeah, well, she's coached, like, in and around the Dallas area for quite some time. So um, there apparently, you know, there is, like, a previous relationship with uh, um, Phil Camp, who's going to be, like, overseeing everything there. And, you know, so, you know, if they have that kind of previous relationship and then she's, you know, worked with the Dallas Griffins before as well, which I believe is where they've met or worked with Phil Camp as well. And so there's obviously that previous existing relationship with the staff, which will probably go over really well. Probably a lot of familiarity with the local players as well. Like I know we just kind of went through the draft, but you're still going to have to fill out the back end of your roster with a lot of local guys too. And having that familiarity, especially, you know, when you're in that role as an assistant general manager, I would imagine that's going to be a lot of what she's doing, kind of, you know, looking for players to come and join the team and you know helping out in in that regard as well so and you know when you kind of go with a uh with someone like when you're kind of building a new team sometimes you definitely need that familiarity with the local region the local players to help build up that roster yes absolutely so i think that uh all we can talk about for the MLR draft now until uh, new signings get released for the rest of us. 
<laughs> However, there has been some more drama in uh, the Americas rugby scene. Uh, with the Americas Rugby Championship, there's been some accusations and comments made by South American Rugby uh, regarding the qualification for the 2023 Rugby World Cup. Derek, do you want to explain what's been going on? Yeah, so um, out of Uruguay, Ignacio Chans, um, he was kind of reported, he did an interview with Sebastian Paniera, who is the president of the South American Rugby Union. And he just kind of bashed, let's say what it is, he bashed Rugby Canada and Rugby America's North for uh, voting for Beaumont in the world rugby elections. And basically, you know, they're kind of saying that they don't want to participate in the ARC. They want to kind of branch off and have their own South America-focused path to the World Cup instead of the traditional America's way where, you know, both North and South America have the one qualifying lane to go through. And so ultimately what that makes is even though world rugby kind of released the qualification format for the 2023 world cup is in the America's region, it's kind of up in the air right now um, because the South American rugby union is not pleased with how that election went down, especially considering, I believe one of their, their main points was that, you know, like Pichot was an America's guy. Like he's a guy from your region and you voted against the guy from your region, um, which, you know, I, I could see how that could be perceived as a negative thing. And, you know, and like, they're not even hiding it. Cause uh, you know, even on Twitter, like Pani Yura, like he called out Tim Powers on Tim Powers' own Twitter feed, like just replying to tweets being like, what, like, why would you vote for Beaumont instead of Pichot? It's, it doesn't make any sense. So um, to be honest, like to me, like the situation really doesn't look good. I think we definitely need a united America's region. And I don't know if, I don't think splitting it would be very good for anybody. No, I, I got to agree. I don't think that splitting the ARC is going to be a, the benefit to anyone. Um, however, I will point out that um, the winning margin for um, Bill Beaumont was by more than two points. That's so fair. That, like so, so that if Canada and Rugby America's North had given all their votes to um, his opponent, Beaumont still would be chairman. And think- and uh, the argument has been that oh uh, Japan was going to vote for I keep um, I keep forgetting how to pronounce his name Augustin Pichot Pichot I think so it's a uh, French uh, learning in me that's uh, Pico or something like that which is obviously not, um, not correct yeah but uh, they were saying that oh Japan was going to vote for Pichot. And then because Canada and Rugby America's North didn't, that Japan were voted for Beaumont. To which my response would be, is this the same Japan that got to play against England in 2016 and against Wales in 2016 as well? Is this the same? Um, and 
so I'm just trying to get my thoughts together. Um, so that's a, the thing is, is that they are ignoring the fact that World Rugby has been pushing for Japan, obviously since they were awarded the World Cup, but even more so over the past four years. And that has been a World Rugby that's been led by Bill Beaumont. To think that they would vote for the person who hasn't been supporting them over the last four years is farcical. At the same time, the essay, uh, so South American rugby, one of the propositions they said was to have a Latin uh, league, which would be the countries of South America, as well as Georgia and Romania. Considering the qualification for Europe at the moment, I think Georgia's fine staying in Europe. Romania, maybe, but I don't see that happening. If, And I think it's probably will come down to a case of world rugby stepping in and saying, we have this competition that's been in place for the last few years. This is how you want to qualify. If you don't want to qualify this way, fine. You're not going to the World Cup. I think there needs to be that ultimatum because the guys in South America, first of all, Argentina's already qualified, so they're fine that way. But none of these guys uh, say, like, when New Zealand uh, threatened boycotting the 2015 World Cup because of um, money issues like that, even though, New even though New Zealand doesn't have the financial uh, sway as, say, England or France, they definitely have the cultural sway of saying, oh, if the defending world champions aren't in the World Cup, then that victory will forever be tainted. I, I just don't see how uh, South America can come out from this positive. And I, and I agree that, yes, maybe Canada should have discussed this with the South American Rugby Union beforehand and explained their position. And it has been a mess, but I also think that it'll come around in the end. Yeah, I don't think, you know, when you you kind of started your your speech there with by saying like that Beaumont would have won anyways, and I don't think that's the point. I think they're like I I think they would have been fine if you know Beaumont still won, but I think the point and like what they're what you know, what South America rugby is angry about is the fact that, you know, Canada and RAN went against what the rest of the Americas voted for. I think that's their issue regardless. Like, I feel like that's kind of like one of, like, just kind of like one of those, like, you know, if we lost, at least we would have lost together. Or at least we would have like gone down as, you know, mm. say, well, they would have gone down as a team. Nobody like kind of quit on the team or anything, but you know, with the way Canada and Rand voted, it was like, okay, so we're all not on the same page now. You guys voted against the America's representative that was, you know, in this election. And you're, you know, like you kind of voted for the status quo to remain. And even at that, like Canada voted for like, you know, Pat Parfrey kind of did his talk with uh, Newfoundland rugby, which was great. Like they were mentioning like, you know, how often, you know, the English teams kind of all come over and how well like they helped fund like the Churchill cup and stuff. And it was like, well, like the Churchill cup hasn't been played since 2011, 
Yeah. Right? So it's like, if that's what we're kind of basing it off of, and if like, you know, Panyura is like hearing that, then like, you know what, you kind of like, well, like, I don't understand like why you vote. And I mean, like, you know, there was a lot of people in general that were super angry that Canada and Rand both voted for Beaumont in the first place. So, I mean, I'm not like, that was just like the general public. So like, I'm not seeing this come out as like, I'm not surprised that, you know, the South American unions are upset by this at all. So it's like, I don't think they're going to end up, and even like that Latin cup thing, I don't think that would be like a qualifier because like world rugby is pretty like they're that's Romania, Georgia. They're obviously in the European region there, but like, I don't know, like I would be interested to seeing like what a qualifier, if you had to split North and South America up would even look like. Cause you know, like if you look at like the North American countries too, it's like, you got Canada, the United States, um, Mexico, and then a whole bunch of uh, Caribbean countries. And there is a significant drop off. Oh yeah. USA and Canada. Right. So it's like, how would that work? Is that just like, if they did that, like, is that just going to be like, yeah, like here's the North America one spot or whatever. It's like, here we go. Best of three series or something, Canada, USA, and this like you win or you don't. And then you're out. Like that would be kind of chaotic too or whatever. But like, or, you know, maybe that opens the door for, uh, you know, someone like the Bahamas to stun the world and end up in the World Cup because now they get to, now their path of qualifying is completely different. But I feel like that probably is unlikely to happen. Um, but well, you never know. You 2020 has yeah, been full know. of you, you never strange know. things. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I I agree. I I can see everyone being angry at Canada and half of rugby America North for voting against the thing I don't get is how did the governing body split their vote like what's even the point of splitting your vote you might as well just not vote yeah I I don't even I I don't like I just I don't even like at least like if you have two votes and you vote use one vote on one guy and one vote on the other guy like I don't know maybe I just don't know enough about the governance and how world rugby operates but I'm like I just don't like it just kind of seems like your void vote was just kind of nullified by your own vote. Yeah, I think this is an issue too, in that the voting procedure for uh, the World Rugby Chairman still screams "old boys club" yeah. to the entire world, as in it's a, a private vote. There's no public manifestos of what's going on they wait in the like sense- days to actually announce the results of the vote after it happens yeah and weeks. it well, came out earlier than it was supposed to but yeah that, like that's but that's one of the things is in they said oh this will be the vote will begin at this day and finish on this day and two days afterwards that will be when we announce it and then after i think 48 hours they said voting's ended. We're going to announce it tomorrow, and yeah. I think that puts a lot of people in a questioning position. Of well, if there's all this um, hush and secrecy about it, then what actually is going on? Because um, my original thought process was that the America's Rugby Championship would be the qualification format in the same way that the european rugby qualification is a which it, and that format is um played over two years so 
every team will play a total of 10 games and they have home and away. And then the cumulative scores from both those years will then mark who finishes uh, first and who finishes second. And whoever finishes first gets the automatic spot and whoever finishes second or in the case of the Americas, second and third will probably have a playoff spot for Americas two, and then third place goes into the repercharge tournament. And well, that was and that was my understanding of it. But then again, I'm also not a member of either Rugby Americas North or South America Rugby. So, what do I know? No, yeah, exactly. It's just, um, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, no matter what ends up happening, I think we're all better off having a united America's region. And hopefully whatever the issues are here, like someone like the behind closed door stuff, I just hope that we can all kind of work it out because I think one, the ARC has been a great tournament for both like just the development of all the America's nations. Like, I think it's something that we need. We need to have, you know, the top teams in our region playing each other, even if that involves like, you know, the Argentinian 15 as kind of, you know, not their top flight team, but obviously like their second team is still just as competitive as, you know, Canada, United States, Uruguay, Chile, Brazil as well. And, you know, they were going to introduce some like promotion relegation for this year too, which is going to open the doors for like other countries to be able to develop and get mm-hmm. into that tournament. They had the full-fledged, like called the full-fledged like tier two t- version of the ARC that was going to kick off this year too. You know, so there, it looks like there was going to be a lot of like opportunities for some of the, you know, the smaller nations to maybe, you know, if they perform well at that tournament, they can earn their promotion and stuff and get to the big tournament, which is just proves there. Um, their own teams and their programs in their countries as well, which I think would have been a huge benefit. So I think, you know, I really was really looking forward to that. And I hope that we're all kind of able to, I hope the unions are all able to resolve, resolve this issue and we can kind of move forward as a United Americas team or United Americas region. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So moving on, we, Got some signing news to talk about. Um, man, it's, you know, after a couple of months off without sports, man, it feels good to have actual, like, sport content to constantly talk about on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We got yeah. a draft. We got some signings. We'll get to some actual games shortly, too. Um, so the Toronto Arrows, um, last week uh, they announced Adrian Wadden uh, has signed with the team. And, you know, earlier this week they added five more names as they, you know, there's – the arrows have a lot more than five guys signed on their team right now. They're just kind of slowly rolling the names out for, you know, PR and press related purposes and no sense in dumping them all at the one time, but you know, rest assured arrows fans, if your favorite player has not been announced as being re-signed yet, there's a good chance that he still is. Um, so either way, the first group of re-signings was Thomas Della Vega, Will Kelly, Mitch Richardson, Tyler Rowland, and Marcello Wainwright. Yep, great five to start off with. I have to feel for Marcello because I know that he had been injured at the start of the season and was raring to get going. And then obviously COVID happened, season over. And yeah, yeah, I just felt bad for the guy. And and yeah, I'm a big fan of Marcello Wainwright. I've had uh, a few of his teammates help uh, show me the light on that. And 
you know, he was a incredibly important player for the team last year, especially after Lucas Rumball went down with his knee injury. And, you know, he, like, he was massive all year. And, you know, his teammates refer to him as, like, the most underrated player in the league, which is probably true. Um, maybe it's not. Maybe there's some other guys. I'd love to hear from anybody listening who your vote for the most underrated player in the league is. Um, but there's a lot of Arrows players that feel like it's Marcello Wayne, right? And, you know, he's probably deservedly so on that one. Uh, but yeah, like last year, he had 15 games overall last year. Like I said, a lot of those games came after Lucas. Well, I mean, 15 games is pretty much the most of the season. But, you know, his he got a lot more bigger and more important minutes after Rumball went down with his injury. But in his 15 games, he had two tries, 91% tackle completion rate, ran for over 400 meters total, uh, which is, you know, all you can, like, that's exactly what you want out of a uh, back row player. And obviously he's still young too. So still developing and, you know, especially now that you, like, I think that's kind of one of the benefits of, you know, why we need to get some of these, you know, young Canadian players into major league rugby. Um, Cause now like, you know, Wayne writes a guy that, you know, he's, he's, he's proven already that he can play in the MLR. Maybe, you know, the injury kind of hard done by maybe like, I don't know, maybe he could have played in the second or the last game of the season. Um, but, you know, when the Toronto Arrows added Thomas De La Vega and Manuel Diana to the back row, that's that's just insanely deep. Like Peter Malazzo was also in the back row. He was like second in the league in lineout steals last year, and he's coming off the bench now just because, like, that's a deep group with uh, Rumball, De La Vega, Diana, Malazzo, Wainwright, Colby Francis mixed in there too. That's really deep, and it's, you know, that's very competitive if you're looking for uh, match time. Um, but I think ultimately too, like that's going to be something that makes Wainwright better. And I hope he, you know, relishes that competition and that challenge. And I look forward to uh, seeing him come back next year. Well, someone I was very happy to see uh, resign is Toma De La Vega. I think he, he and Manuel Diana are probably the two best signings for MLR. Never mind uh, the arrows. Yeah, I would say MLR. Hundred percent agree. Like, they they, they have been have, fantastic. Yeah, they don't have the like they don't have the name recognition of say Bastaro or Nanu or you know Ranger or I mean even what Ione possibly could have been for Colorado this year, but visa issues and you know like all those guys, even Foden last year, like those are some big name name recognitions, but I feel like as far as like the impact that they had on the team, I know it was brief. It was five games only, but I, Della Vega and Diana were outstanding. And the arrows, the arrows were one of the best teams in the league last year. And then they were like even a step above everybody else this year. And I think a lot of that was because of Della Vega and Diana. So yeah, great to see Della Vega back, but you were going to add something to that before I rudely interrupted you. So go on. Yeah. I th- well, saying that Della Vega being such an important signing and one of the few non-Canadian players on the Arrows, but his impact has been phenomenal. He also has the experience from international duty. Uh, obviously not as many games for the Pumas as he maybe would have hoped, but that experience has then gone and played dividends and more for the Arrows. And I know he's stayed in Toronto during this whole COVID outbreak, um, his wife works in Toronto as well, which obviously helps. And 
yeah so to see him get affinity for the city to see him back playing for Toronto next year it's just a fantastic signing obviously we also have uh, Will Kelly and Mitch Richardson and Tyler Rowland and this isn't a knock on them they were all great players but Della Vega and Diana were definitely the ideal signings that the Arrows could have made last year and hopefully we can have Diana to join Della Vega this year we'll just have to wait for that announcement to be made yeah that's that's definitely an anticipated one especially after those uh, some of those Bristol Bear rumors kind of started floating around but yeah, like we're still, uh, we'll wait and see on uh, what Diana, like I said, the arrows have, the the arrows are going to bring back the vast majority of their team from last year, which they do have great. one of the highest retention rates of any MLR team. Yes, I player, believe among yeah. players and the coaching staff. So they're going to like the vast majority of the team is going to be back next year. So that's obviously exciting because this team looked like they were poised to take a run at a championship. And based on like, if the, based on that and it's like if they're bringing a lot of guys back too obviously they're also going to add some uh, new recruits that can strengthen the team as well so you know it's looking like they're going to have another unbelievably strong unbelievably stacked team again next year um Della Vega though again just top five in so many stat categories throughout the league right now so he's definitely the like the highlight of this block of signings I would say um, Mitch Richardson, like I was so excited watching him in training. He uh, looked amazing. Um, you know, he looked really good against the, you know, in the game against Utah, the preseason game there. He looked really good in the scrimmage against uh, Rugby United New York as well. And he just, you know, just looks good. Looked really good, like just in training sessions with the uh, with his arrows teammates. Um, so I know like he put in like a ton of work during that off season in order to uh, step his game up. And, you know, again, you know, he's one of those guys too, like it, the center position for the Toronto arrows is still quite deep. Obviously you have Giuseppe Detroit, Spencer Jones, Ben Lesage, and even like Dan Moore is an option for you in the center. Obviously, you know, Jones missed the entire shortened season with a uh, with an injury so he didn't get to play but you still have Detroit and Massage in there which are you know fully capped Canadian players uh, both of which were at the Rugby World Cup so like that's it's tough to uh, crack the starting 15 if you're a center um, get that 12 and 13 jersey there's obviously a lot of talent there but you know Richardson coming off the bench I thought every time he did like he was solid he made you know he uh, he made things happen he had um, and you know, he, he was effective when he did come off the bench and I'd like, and he's one of those guys that I was like, like, there's some things that kind of strike me with like a little bit of that disappointment of like what would have happened this season. And Mitch Richardson to me, it's one of those kind of big, like, what ifs, like, what if he got a little bit more game time? Not so much that he did like should have been playing more like in the first five games or anything, but just if you had that full season to develop, like, what kind of could have happened to him would have been like, I don't know. He's one of those players. I'm super excited to have him back. Cause I think he can be a real solid player in this league. And then, you know, hopefully make a crack at the uh, Canadian national team one day too. Yeah, I have to agree. I think that um, these five signings are great. It's great to know that their arrows are bringing players back and we have something to look forward to. Uh, with games in 2021. However, when it comes to games in 2020, 
very fortunate to have two live rugby games, not in Canada, maybe the other side of the world, but a TSN is a thing and we can always uh, watch it and catch up. So what were your impressions of the first two games of Super Rugby Aotearoa? Um, man, I like having rugby back. That's fun. Oh, uh, same, same. It's, dude, it's, it's fun, man. Like, um, I, I, I didn't, I didn't wake up for the, uh, the three o'clock in the morning game. Um, yeah, it's couldn't, couldn't do that one. Thank you for TSN for putting them on demand after to allow me to watch it on reasonable hours. I did. So I didn't watch the Highlanders Chiefs live because it was at 3 a.m. And um, yeah, it was at 3 a.m. That was my reasoning behind it. And I feel like I'm justified in saying that. And Tyler Ardron wasn't playing. So Tyler Ardron, what's yeah, the Tyler, point? Yeah, if Tyler Ardron was playing, I, I, I watch every game that Tyler Ardron plays. So, I mean, if yeah, exactly. There's no Canadians in the lineup. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but so like, I don't know, I was just kind of like, so the first like a live game that I watched was um, would have been the Blues and the Hurricanes, who are the Arrows partnership team. So yeah. that's another, that's why I had to watch that one live. Cause it's basically, it's the closest I get to watching the arrows play a live game. So um, I'll take it. I'll take it. And, um, but it was like, man, like, so obviously that game was at Eden park and like the two teams came out on the pitch to the game of Thrones theme and like the crowd kind of going nuts. And I'm like, damn, like, and it was just like, man, I missed this so much. Like, I know it's a, uh, you know, I know there's a, you know, it's tough because it's like, yeah, like COVID-19 obviously, you know, brought like a lot of hardship on a lot of people. And, you know, it, you know, people like, you know, there's a lot of people died, people lost their loved ones. So it's tough to like, it's certainly not a situation that you want to make light of at all. But I think like, you know, having rugby kind of come back was just like one of those, like, like just enjoy the little things kind of moments of, you know the world has been crazy the past like couple of months but you got you know you kind of got something that you love back and like that's so, all i mean from that perspective i thought it was great um and you know it's it's nice to, to have it's just nice to have rugby back is kind of what i'm trying to get at here um and uh the game itself games were super entertaining too we had um i loved dane cole's try just you know the classic <laughs> hooker 40 yard dash down the wing um, there's nothing more traditional in rugby than that, especially from Dan Coles. And then the celebration where they roped in Bowden Barrett. Oh, that <laughs> oh, was outstanding. That was that hilarious was to watch. Uh, Dan Coles also, like, he hit Barrett late in the game, too, and Barrett ran all the way across the field, completely out of position for the sole purpose of just hitting Coles again uh, <laughs> with, his, with a giant smile on his face. And I was just like, mm. ah, like, this, man, yeah. this, is, this is fun, man. Like, this yeah. is this is so much fun. And, um, yeah, I think yeah. for a lot of people, especially in New Zealand, this is the return of a vague sense of normality after yeah, it's, uncertainty for the past few months. I know, yeah, man, it's, um, like you said, a lot of, a lot of people have died. A lot of people have, thankfully recovered from this but also a lot of people um their financial situation their employment situation has just been it's left been, on a yeah. week by week basis and to have something that 
can bring people together and people can watch. And I know the Bundesliga has um, come back to Germany, but having the crowds there makes the world of difference. Yeah, I think I think that was the kind of the thing for me too, like just away from the rugby game itself, which there was two great games. Like, you know, the Highlanders and the Chiefs traded drop goals in the final 10 minutes um, of that one with uh, Bryn Gatlin getting the one up on the old man at the end of the game too, which was... Yeah, I can see those two being uh, socially distant for a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, that's going to be... That'll be, an, that'll be a fun dinner conversation the next time they get together. Although apparently he told... I was hearing like that he, apparently he told Warren that he was going to score a drop goal at the end of the game. So a little bit of the uh, Nostradamus kind of prediction there at the, uh, pre, the pregame meal for the uh, Gatlin family. Well, I know uh, there is you. I know a certain Squidge Rugby said that there's nothing better than a last-minute drop goal. Him, of course, the Welsh affiliation was supporting the Chiefs, and I remember um, reading his uh, Twitter feed to say like, "Oh, it's all primed for a last-minute drop goal," and then it happened for the Chiefs, and then when it happened for the Highlanders, his response was, "Never mind." which i felt was very yeah. hilarious and yeah exactly. that's the thing i don't know maybe he maybe he jinxed it by saying like oh gatlin's gonna go for a drop goal but he didn't say which gatlin so yeah. that's on him I, so if if you're a chiefs fan and you're upset with a loss it's squidge rugby's fault that may not be legally binding don't come for me squidge sorry i love you um but yeah i think the one thing too with that it was just like man like i just you know, there, like you said, there's been a lot of other sports that have come back, but the crowd, especially the crowd at Eden Park for the Blues and Hurricanes, the sold-out crowd, it was just like, man, like every time they scored a try, you could pan to the crowd, and it's like there's people high-fiving each other, drinking beers and stuff, and it was just like, man, I like, I miss that a lot. And yeah, I'm, it's like, yeah, I, I it's something I'm looking forward to. It's one, like you said, it, like you said this, like there's, a, there's been a lot of people that have gone through plenty of hardship over the the past couple of months here and but it's just like it's just that that little thing of just you know it's something you know this, no matter how tough like like with how tough like the last couple of months have been for a lot of people it's like I think like those games were a little bit of like you can see the excitement on the faces of people in New Zealand like it's a little bit of that sign of hope and something to look forward to and hopefully you know hopefully we are able to have some uh, games with capacity crowds um, across you know sports in North America soon, although it's looking more and more unlikely that that'll happen as the leagues here are kind of like preparing to play in bubbles at Disneyland and you know the NHL wants to do hub cities, the Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball is doing something. I don't know what they're I don't know what they're doing. They just they're arguing a lot. That's what they're doing. They're yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll yeah. see. We'll no see point asking happens. me. I haven't got a clue. Yeah, like basically but, the players' union and um, the ownership um, hate each other. Oh, th- those guys that get on so well. Yeah, those guys. Exactly. Those. Yeah, those. Those. Those guys. Yeah. Um, they basically hate each other, and uh, it might wipe out the entire season, regardless of COVID and what those restrictions are. Um, oh, so fantastic! Yeah. Well, hopefully, a bit closer to home with um, Canadian sports. So, for example, the CFL. And I've yeah. been keeping up to date with the uh, infections rate in Canada, and it is thankfully going down, especially 
uh, in Ontario and Toronto as well. I think this is the third day in a row in which the infection rate in Toronto has been fewer than 100 people a day, which is obviously a good thing. And it's showing that the downward trajectory. And I'm not saying that, oh, you know, get ready to cheer on the Argonauts anytime soon. It's still going to be empty stadiums, I believe, was the case for the CFL season yeah. this year. But ideally, in, we can, if we keep that infection rate down, maybe we could see, oh, I don't know, an exhibition game of the Arrows and Ontario Blues and just have that up at uh, York Lions Stadium. I'm just spitballing for any of the guys listening, which I know they are. Let's try and get that sorted. Um, for games that were definitely happening this coming weekend in New Zealand, we have the Chiefs versus the Blues. And then we have the Hurricanes versus the Crusaders. What are your predictions, Derek, for those two games? Um, well, uh, if the Chiefs play Ardron, Chiefs, just because I have to pick the Canadian team, um, but under any other circumstances, and realistically, probably even if the Chiefs do have Ardron, um, I would probably take the Blues in this game. Especially, you know, they had uh, some world-class water boys in their game last week with uh, Dan Carter and Tana Umaga. Um, Tana's not going to be playing in this game, but hopefully I would love to see Dan Carter back on a pitch in New Zealand. That would be so much fun. Um, and then Hurricanes versus Crusaders. Um I will literally – the Crusaders might be the one team on planet Earth that I'll be like, there is no circumstances that I'll bet against them for the sole reason that they're the Crusaders, and that's it. Well, the interesting thing I noticed is that the two teams that had home advantage won last weekend. Mm -hmm. So I should say that the Chiefs and the Hurricanes are going to win this weekend. However, I will agree with you, the Crusaders are – the full, it's like betting against the Harlem Globetrotters. You just don't do it. And so the I would Harlem say... Harlem Globetrotters do lose occasionally, though. It's just, it's rare. But if you do, you can, you can make some money betting on the Harlem Globetrotters losing. Okay, you just have to pick one of those like, super rare, like one in every 300 and something. Uh, so um, my pick, I'm going to stick with the Welsh Connection. I'm going to pick the Chiefs and Warren Gatland. Uh, but I will agree with you. I know I'm going against the Arrows partner, but I will the Crusaders for that game. Yeah, they're the Arrows partner. They're not the Arrows, so I don't feel too bad about betting against them. But they're also playing the best club team on the planet. So, and I mean, I don't really know what to say. I would, I would, I would love to be shocked by that result Me too. at uh, so one in the morning to see the Hurricanes storm the Crusaders 50-0. Yeah. Um, I may then also wake up a second later to see the actual score. Um, but we'll, we'll guess we'll have to wait and see. When that, and it's great that I can actually say that now, knowing that there will be a result by Sunday our time, instead of just hoping that a game will be played. Yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, just before we kind of wrap up the podcast here, um, one of the stories that has kind of involved the uh, Canadian Sevens team and a lot of the players out in uh, Langford, BC, in the Victoria area there, um, has been their massive involvement in the uh, many Black Lives Matter 
uh, rallies that have been happening in the Victoria region. Um, so, you know, Pam uh, Busia um, has been organizing a lot of those rallies. Um, Charity Williams, Josiah Mora, they've all been giving speeches at them. So just kind of wanted to give them a quick shout out um, to let, yeah, um, it's just, it's outstanding to see the uh, Canadian athletes taking a stand for, you know, what they believe in and, you know, uh, condemning racism and promoting, you know, all, all the, you know, the anti-racism movement that is definitely happening across the globe right now. And, you know, it's, it's great to see that so many prominent players on the Canadian sevens team and within rugby Canada as a whole, there was, you know, a whole lot, you know, they were three like focal points of those rallies, but like there was a whole lot of their teammates that were there in support too. So it's great to see rugby Canada and the rugby Canada players throwing their whole weight behind the black lives matter movement and, you know, really trying to make a difference in the world. So um, I hope they keep that up because it's uh, great to see. Yeah, I, Completely agree. I I agree that Black Lives Matter is a very um, important uh, movement in our time, and I also understand that rugby holds itself to a very high standard of values. And to see uh, not only um, Team Canada from the Olympics backing them, but also Rugby Canada backing them as well, um, is just it's just fantastic. It's basically them saying these are the values we uphold and here we are proving them. We agree with them and yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. This is just, sorry, sorry, something in my throat. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great movement to follow and to have the support of your governing body is great. And obviously to keep going because it's very easy to drop out of these things when they're no longer on the front pages, but there are so many uh, black voices within the rugby community that sometimes don't get heard. If anyone saw the Squidge Rugby video earlier this week, they know exactly what I'm talking about. So yeah, we want to hear these black voices in the rugby community and we want to support them as well. This is something we all need to do and Yes, utmost respect to everyone in Rugby Canada supporting these guys. Well done. Yeah, and, you know, if you haven't heard the speeches that uh, Busa, Williams, and uh, Mora made during the Black Lives Matter rally, you can just take a quick scroll through any of the Rugby Canada social media pages and you'll find, um, you know, a bunch of info on them or like even a lot of the... Uh, Instagram stories and Instagram posts of a lot of the players that were also in attendance of that rally in support of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as their teammates that were active and loud, loud voices during those rallies. Um, so that's all that we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you're looking to get into contact with us, you can do so at LaRouge Rugby on Twitter. I myself um, at Brissette the Jet on Twitter and my good friend Stu Hardy where can the fine people that are listening to this podcast find you you can find me at one of two addresses on Twitter yes I know I'm being difficult uh, the first one is H4RD man and the other one is for my uh, YouTube series Hardline Rugby which is 
hard and then underscore rugby. So those are H4, the number four, R-D-M-A-N, and hard underscore rugby. Perfect. And once again, um, happy anniversary to Mr. and Mrs. Murphy. We hope you're enjoying that Ferrari that Dan gave you. And if he did not, you can contact us at those social media accounts and uh, we'll make sure that we let Dan hear about his egregious mistake um, if he didn't get you that car. Because 30 is a huge milestone. So congratulations. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you guys next time.